I cannot tell you how many times I have heard professing Christians say, Judge not, lest ye be judged. After all, it's written in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, Judge not, lest ye be judged. Jesus said so, right? And in Luke chapter 6, we hear this, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. So there's a clue there. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. And then we go to John chapter 7, we hear, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Ah, and there's a clue that many people overlook. Judge with righteous judgment. Did you know that the Bible actually instructs believers to judge among ourselves? It's true. And we're going to look at that today. The Lord gave me this message a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. I don't remember when exactly. Probably three weeks ago. And uh, I believe we need to comprehend this today because so many people have fallen into the error of grace to sin, that doctrine that allows people to sin because they're under grace. God's Word makes it clear we are not to sin even though we are under grace. In fact, grace enables us and empowers us to stop sinning willfully, deliberately, continually. It doesn't mean we may not step into sin on occasion. It, may not, it doesn't mean that we might not slip. You might miss the mark, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You're aiming for the bullseye, but you hit off-center. We're not given grace to excuse sin. Grace empowers us to stop sinning. It empowers us to resist temptation. It empowers us to overcome sin. We're going to be reading from the fifth chapter of Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth today, but before we go there, I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, I surrender completely to You for Your use today. Some who are listening and others who will be later have been caught in the enemy's snares, Lord. Please free them, Father. We know that You can. We ask that You would. Your grace is sufficient to call us from sin. Your Word makes that clear. It draws even the most rebellious, Father. It turns even the most vilest offenders. Help me proclaim Your Word clearly and concisely. Please give me unction, Father, to speak what each of us needs to hear. God, we need You. Heavenly Father, please anoint our eyes with spiritual eye salve. Open them for us to see. Help us to submit to Your Word as our guide. No matter what we've been taught before, Lord, no matter where we've been taught it, no matter who has taught it to us, we ask that You would search us. Search us, O God, and show us our sin that we may judge ourselves and turn from it. Help us to become like Christ. Cleanse us from secret faults. Please, Lord, use Your Spirit to transform us into surrendered vessels for Your use. Help me, Lord, as I preach Your Word, to speak clearly and concisely that all who receive this message will get what You have for them. I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
If you want to open the Bible, we have Bibles in the seats there. And uh, we're going to open to page 1758 if you choose to open the Bible that's in your seat. This is the fifth chapter of the first letter to the Corinthians that we have, but we'll see that Paul mentions a previous epistle that he had written. This is the first one we have the record of. It's most likely it was at least the second letter that he wrote. And uh, we're going to read, beginning at verse 1 through verse 13 today. That's the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And I want you to hear what's written there. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, in other words, among the unbelievers, that a man has his father's wife, that's not his mother, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother or a sister who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person." I ask that God would add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. Paul learned of this grievous situation in the church in Corinth. Corinth was known for many things, including sexual immorality. But even this went beyond anything that Paul had heard was going on in that town. And it really made him snap out on the Corinthians. He was not happy about this. This was a city, it was one of the largest cities, the port city. It was one of the largest cities in ancient Greece, and it, was, it had a diverse uh, ethnicity. There were people from people groups from all over because it was a port city. When Paul learned of this man betting his 
father's wife, he was furious. Obviously, as I said, this was not the guy's mom. Paul reminded them that unbelievers didn't even do this. Now, I know we're not doing this in this church. We're not tolerating this type of thing. We're not bragging or boasting about it. But there's a lesson here for all of us. The 18th chapter of Leviticus clearly prohibits this type of behavior that Paul was chastising this church for. It prohibits any type of sex with anyone who's related to you or your family members or your spouse. It's written in Leviticus 18.8. This is one of the many verses that deal with this topic. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The two become one. Let's not forget that. The 20th chapter of Leviticus also provides prohibitions, and we read in the 11th verse there, the man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them, it is written. The word nakedness means nudity, but it extends beyond that. It means especially the reproductive parts. And uncovering means to reveal or expose. In Scripture, to uncover nakedness is to have incestuous or unlawful sexual activity. And I'm not going to be any more explicit than that. The sin prompted Paul to criticize the sin and the sinner. Not only the one committing the sin, but the ones who tolerated it in the church. It was not acceptable. Not at all. He criticized their arrogance. He criticized their lack of grieving over this. He told them they should have separated themselves from the man who was committing this sin. In verse 3, we hear Paul admit publicly that he had already judged as though he was there, this one who had done this. Wait a minute, I I asked as I was studying this, I said, wait a minute, Pastor Paul, Bishop Paul, Apostle Paul, wait a minute, where do you come off judging this guy? Didn't you ever hear Jesus say, judge not, lest you be judged? Paul had a different understanding of our Lord's teaching. Paul was teaching and preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Yahashua, Messiah, the one we call Jesus And he instructed them to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were to do this with the power of Christ when they were gathered together. That's what's written in the fifth verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Turning this Christian over to Satan? Seriously? That causes me a great deal of strife inside of me. I can't even stand the thought of it. Turn them over to Satan, he said, for the destruction of their flesh. This is something most people won't preach. And I said, Lord, you've got to give me grace to do this because this is a hard one. What happened to love the sinner and hate the sin? That's the popular motto today. 
Love the sinner, hate the sin. Hate the sin, love the sinner. I've heard it so many times in my life, I can't stand it. That's not what the Bible says. Turn him over. That their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see, the most important part there, he doesn't want anybody to burn in hell. That's the truth of it. We learned Paul did exactly this, and he reported it to Timothy. You may have read it at some point in time during your personal Bible readings. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. Paul considered him his son in the spirit because he had brought him into the faith. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. And shipwreck there doesn't mean they were on a boat and it crashed. He's talking about their faith, and that's a whole study in itself. We're not going to go there. But you have to know he's not talking about wrecking a boat, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I, this is Paul speaking, delivered to Satan that they may not, they may, excuse me, they may learn not to blaspheme. Some rejected the good news, and such were these guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, that they may not learn to blaspheme means they were sinning. They were blaspheming the name of Christ. They were walking in the name of Christ. They were calling themselves followers of the way. And they were blaspheming that by openly, willfully, deliberately sinning against the one who gave his life that we could receive the grace of Almighty God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we hear this, For if we would judge ourselves. Wait a minute. Judge not, least you be judged. Judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Judge who? Judge ourselves. Judge ourselves. Wait a minute. I thought we weren't under judgment. We're not. But he's telling us, you better pay attention to your conduct. Pay attention to your behavior. Pay attention to the way that you live on this planet because Almighty God has His eye on you too. You're not escaping God's eye. Remember in the 18th chapter of Matthew, the Lord Himself tells us how to do discipline. He says, when somebody does wrong, one of you, you go and you address it. And then if they fail to hear you, then you take somebody else with you, or maybe two other people, and you address it. And if they refuse to hear you and those people, then you take it to the whole church. Now, that never makes me comfortable, ever. That's not something I want to do. I'm not trying to bring to the church that somebody's in willful sin, going against the Word of Almighty God. That's not something I want to do at all. It doesn't make me feel good to, to even have to do that. 
But if we find a situation in the body of believers, the family of Christ that meets in this building, it has to be addressed because God's Word says it must be addressed. Does that mean we don't have grace? No, we have grace. But we can't turn a blind eye to willful sinning. And we do everything we can to be as graceful as possible in handling sin. Some people would think that I'm picking on them because I bring out what God's Word says, and I'm not. I'm not picking on any of you folks, but I've got to bring you what God says. I, can, I don't know where you come from. I don't know what kind of background you have. I don't know what your theological training has been. I don't know what schools of theology you may have attended, but I know God's Word, and I know what His Word says, and He says we need to call people out of their sin. He makes it clear. In verse 6, Excuse me, we're going to go back to Matthew just for a moment because I have verse 17 in Matthew chapter 18. If they refuse to hear them, tell it to the church. But if they refuse even to hear the church, let them be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. And this is Christ our Lord saying, put them out. That's Him, the one that we say is so loving. That's the most loving thing we can do, not tolerate sin. If somebody's standing in a burning building and you're going by and you see them standing on the porch and the place is burning down behind them, do you just wave at them and say, hey, how are you doing? You tell them, get out of there. The place is on fire. And when we see people living an immoral life, we've got to call them out of it because it's on fire. Now we go to verse 6. We hear Paul criticizing their boastfulness and their pridefulness. Because it only takes one unrepentant sinner to mess up the church. The whole church. He said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Anybody who's done any baking knows you don't need a whole lot of yeast to get the bread dough to rise because the yeast permeates, it goes through, it penetrates, it grows, and it expands. And this is what he's comparing. Sin in the Scriptures is very often characterized as yeast. And Paul's saying, don't let it in the body. Don't let it, because it's going to fester like a sore, like a cancer, and it's going to spread. And this is what we've seen in all of Christendom over the last 500 years, because the grace to sin doctrine has become so prevalent, we have people who willfully, deliberately go against the one that lived a sinless life. We may not continue to sin and expect that God is going to wink at us and say, I got you. That's not what His Word says. Paul himself says, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And he says, no way. The word leaven used for sin means it penetrates, it saturates a whole church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we hear the cure. Purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. Do you hear that? We are an unleavened lump, if you will. We are the dough that God is molding. We are an unleavened lump of dough in the hands of Almighty God. 
And if we allow willful, deliberate sinning against the God of glory, there will be consequences, not only for the individual that's sinning, but also for the church. And this is what's happened in all of Christendom. This is why we're seeing churches fall apart, because they're allowing sin. They're turning a blind eye to it. I've heard of churches running pastors off for calling what the Scripture says, calling them out. If y'all run me off, I'll just go do it somewhere else, so you might as well just stick it out, folks. Christ cleansed us from sin, and therefore we're not to embrace it. We must exclude it from ourselves first. Each and every one of us must exclude sin from us. This is where we are given strength to resist the devil. And what does he do? Everybody knows. He flees. Resist. God's grace gives us the power over temptation and the ability to resist the devil, to turn from that temptation. Christ set us free from that prison of sin. He opened the gate. He invited us out. Why would we want to go back into that jail? I, for one, don't. Indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We just celebrated that last week. And this is the point. Paul's telling the church in Corinth, the church being the people, not the building. He's not writing a letter to the building. He's writing a letter to the people. He's telling them Christ is our Passover. The old is gone. The new is here. Don't violate Christ. He opened that gate. He set us free. Therefore, it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, Let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What is malice? What is wickedness? It's anything God says it is. I don't get to define it. God defines it, and He defines it in His Word. And when we read His Word, we hear what it is that God defines as wickedness, what He defines as malice. It's written in 1 Peter chapter 2, therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes. Desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Run from sin and feast on the Word of God. Feast on the Word of Almighty God, and He will set you free. There's no better place to be than in His Word. Somebody once told me, you worship the Bible. I said, no, I worship the God of the Bible. And he tells me to read His Word. He tells me to study His Word. He tells me to consume His Word so that within me it comes out and it works from within. His intentional submission to our Heavenly Father's will removed us from being and remaining sinful, full of sin. He cleansed us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 11 gives us clear, a very clear insight into how we are to interact with the world. He said, I told you not to do this, but I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Therefore, laying aside, excuse me, I wrote to you in my epistle, the previous epistle, the one that I told you about that we don't have, I told you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or with extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, you'd have to die to get away from all those. You can't get away from all the sin in the world. It's here. We live in it, among it, but we're not to be of it. But now, he says, I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, or we can imply there a sister, a believer, who's sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Wow. Don't even have a meal with them? Seriously? Like, you know, some of my best friends were extortioners once. That's not true. I did know an extortioner once. They'd extort anything they could off of anybody. The habit that they were indulged in led them to be very good at it, too. Idolaters, revilers, the covetous, the drunkards, the sexually immoral. He says, don't have anything to do with them. Don't let that in the body. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't embrace everybody. It doesn't mean that we don't allow everybody to worship. What we do, though, is we call them out of their sin, as Christ does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, we hear a strong warning of why we have to call people out of their sin. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that means people who have sex the way God doesn't want them to, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, another sexual sin, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Which of these do inherit? The, wait, wait, wait. Uh, the unrighteous... Don't you know they will not inherit the kingdom? So which of the unrighteous inherits God's kingdom? Anybody? None. So may we be among the unrighteous? May we be those who are in these categories? Thieves, sodomites, adulterers, idolaters, fornicators, covetous, drunkards, revilers, or extortioners, and expect that we can inherit something that God says we will not. Do you understand the necessity? We are so close to the Lord returning to gather His bride, we may not be caught in these sins. He's warning His church. He's warning His people. It is time, folks, to walk away from everything that God prohibits. We may not stay there. We may not. He does not want us to be there. He makes it clear in His Word, and we must obey His Word. Now we come to the meat of that passage that we started with. It's written 
1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Judge those who are inside. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, how do we do that? How do we, do, how do we put that into practical application? How? Somebody tell me because I don't know how. I call everyone. The only way that I know is to call everybody to come out of the sin that they're in so that Almighty God can clean you up, get rid of it, and then you can walk on that path of holiness that Christ led the way upon. There's no other way. I don't want to run anybody off. I'm not trying to put somebody away from the church. I want to embrace everybody. I want to bring everybody in. I want you all to be strengthened in the power of His might to resist temptation. I want you to see His power at work in your life. I want His Holy Spirit to fall down upon you that you would not want to sin. You would run from those things that have got a hold on you. You don't need those things. You need Christ. You need Christ. I don't want anybody to go and to that place that Almighty God created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for you. It was created for them. Judge those who are inside. Seriously, Paul. The Apostle Paul says, judge those who are inside. What happened to Jesus saying, judge not, lest you be judged? Inside, folks, is the key word here. As it's written in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, in other words, when God does judge us, see, we say if you judge yourself, you're going to call yourself out of sin. If you judge yourself, you're going to break free from all of that which is separating you from Almighty God. When you judge yourself, God doesn't have to. But when you're judged... And this is what he goes into saying. When you are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. In other words, God's going to get out the whip, the heavenly whip, and he's going to crack it on you, and he's going to say, Now, stop. Stop sinning. And there are people that tell me, Oh, I can't. I was born this way. And I say, Well, you know, I was born a sinner. I was born to sinful people. I can't say I was born a sinner. I was innocent at birth. But I became a sinner. I lived a sinful life running from God. He took me and he cleaned me up. Does that mean I don't slip once in a while, hit a banana peel, and down I go? Yeah, that happens. Nowhere near like it used to and not as frequently. But every once in a while, there's something that comes out of my mouth that is not praising God. My finger is a testimony to that. This is speaking to individual believers, if we would judge ourselves, but it also applies because of Paul's teaching in the fifth chapter of 1 Corinthians. It applies to the whole church. If we, collectively, would judge ourselves, we would not be judged by God. And as I was writing my notes, I said, wow. And that's all I could think of was, wow. I, this is incredible. God gives us a way out. He gives us a way out of His judgment. 
He said, judge yourself. Judge who? Judge yourself. I guess that's where the concept of excommunication came from, kicking people out of the church. I got excommunicated once because I was reading the Bible to some kids on the side steps of a Roman Catholic church, and the priest didn't like it, and he choked me, grabbed me by my throat. There's people alive to this day that can testify to that. In the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, he points out many sins, and I'm not going to read the list. In chapter 2, he condemns those who judge others while doing these same things. And you see, that's the point. Don't judge someone else if you're in that same sin. Don't judge someone else's willful, deliberate sinning if you are willfully, deliberately sinning. This is the point. Because that's called hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is also a sin. This is the greatest danger in judging the sin of others. We're not able to do so if we are practicing sinning. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Thus it is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In the 14th chapter of Romans, we hear this, So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. There's no way around that, folks. We will give an account of ourselves to God. And this is an apostle. This is an apostle of Christ, Paul, writing to believers, not to unbelievers. You see, in this, 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 this idea of being judged by God and Christ has been erased from much teaching in the church today. We don't want to talk about judgment. We don't want to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. We don't want to talk about standing before God and giving an account for our lives. We don't want to do that. After all, that doesn't feel good, Pastor. What are you telling us that for? Because it's the Word of Almighty God and I must. I'm not permitted to skip over it. Feasting on the Word of Almighty God enables us to judge ourselves because, guess what? It's all right here. When we read it, when we read it and we ask for God to give us discernment to be able to feed on His Word, His Holy Spirit opens it up unlike any time ever before, and suddenly you see things that you don't want to see in there. And that's the judgment of God falling upon you in the immediate moment. We may not be hypocrites. Those are the ones that Christ criticized the most. They were the ones that He chased out of the building the most. They were the ones that got up in arms against Him. They were the ones that had Him arrested. They were the ones that beat Him. They were the ones who killed Him. They were the ones who thought they were holy. They were the ones who were running the religion of that day. The Word of God is living and powerful. Thus it's written in Hebrews chapter 4, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God. Christ is the living Word of Almighty God. Christ, if you replace the Word of God with Christ, 
Christ is living and powerful. Christ is sharper than any two-edged sword. Christ pierces even to the division of the soul and spirit. Christ divides even to the joints and the marrow. Christ is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. All Scripture, it's written, is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. Uh, We don't like correction, Pastor. Can you erase that part out of our Bibles? We don't like correction. Oh, no, 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 no. Correction, no. Reproof, no, no. Come on, come on. This, we're, you know, we're in 2021, Pastor. Can't you just erase that? We don't need that anymore. Instruction in righteousness? Come on, Pastor. We're under grace. We're under grace. We're, we're living in, in the righteousness of Christ, and that's true. But that doesn't excuse our sin. We may not go on sinning and expect that somehow we have something that we do not have. And I will say that till my dying breath. Word of God, the Scripture is given by inspiration of God for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus it's written in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17. Do you hear the Word of God speaking to you today? Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 is where we hear the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and all unrighteousness of men and women who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And that's what's happened in the body of the church, suppressed the truth, suppressed the truth. Because we have ungodliness and we have unrighteousness ruling in the church. Romans chapter 1 and verse 28 through 32 is where we hear this, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. They didn't want God, so He said, okay, have at it. Do it your way. Do it your way. Do it the way you want to do it. Let's see how that works out for you. And I'll tell you, there's many people in this world today that are finding out it doesn't work out very well. And there will be those who, when they get to that other side of eternity, they claim to be unbelievers right now. There are no unbelievers in hell, folks. You do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. There's that one again. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. There's that one again. Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. And they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, this is in the New Testament, knowing the righteous judgment of God, and anybody who sits under my preaching knows the righteous judgment of God because I bring it to bear upon your souls as you're sitting in these seats. And I'm not doing it to condemn you. I'm doing it to call you to the altar of Almighty God to pour out your heart to Him and allow Him to clean you. They know, he says, they know the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do they the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, you'd think he was writing to the Corinthians, wouldn't you? Because that's what he was complaining to them about. Not only do you glory in you're you're approving somebody else that's doing it. 
And that's the purpose of this message is to edify you. Whenever you hear someone say, judge not lest you be judged, you can refer to them. You can refer them to what God says. First, you have to get to know God's Word, not just sound bites, because that's what that is. That's a sound bite. Judge not lest you be judged. It's a sound bite. It's not the whole counsel of God's Word. And secondly, we're to judge ourselves, to call ourselves out of sin. I judge me. I judge me. I say, I made a mistake. I say, I stepped into sin. I say, I did that. I accept responsibility for what I have done or what I am doing. And too often now, we're not allowing people, we're not training people, we're not teaching people to accept responsibility for their own actions. You know, it started a long time ago whenever somebody said, the devil made me do it. No, the devil doesn't make you do anything. You choose to. We're to apply God's Word. This is the third thing, to bear upon other sins. In other words, as we are operating in this world as followers of Christ, and we find a brother or a sister who has fallen into sin or is living in sin, we walk up alongside of them and we present to them the Word of Almighty God. And the Word of God bears upon their sin just like it bears upon ours. And we say, look, here's what God's Word says. This isn't me saying it. This is the Word of Almighty God. Do you really believe that God exists? Do you really believe that Jesus is the Christ? Yahashua is the Messiah? Do you really believe that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life because God did not come into the world. He didn't send Him into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him would have have life? Do you really believe that? Because if you do, then you turn from sin. You don't live in it. But if you're masquerading somehow, thinking that you have something that you do not have, then you can go on deluding yourself, and God will say, okay, you have it at the way you want it. And He'll let you go. And you may continue to fellowship if a church allows you to fellowship in your sin. You may continue to fellowship in that sin until somebody calls you out, and then you'll bounce out and go to another place. And maybe they'll embrace you there. Oh, yes, sister, God loves the sinner. Oh, yes, brother, come on, God hates the sin, but He loves the sinner. Well, you know He loves the sinner too much to leave them in their sin. We need to apply God's Word to bear upon other sins. And fourth, we are collectively called, and this is the part that's not comfortable for me, we are called to dismiss willfully sinning people who are unrepentant, who refuse to repent. We are to call them out and to exclude them from fellowship and turn them over to their sin. I don't want to do that. That's the last step, and that's the one that is not something I want to do at all. As a pastor, I'm not comfortable with that teaching at all. I am not, not even a little bit, not even a tiny little bit. I get no pleasure in saying, yeah, okay, they don't straighten up. No. That's not how it works. The compassion of my heart for souls that are lost in sin goes beyond the walls of this building, but it doesn't just go beyond the walls of this building. It applies here. You know, like Christ, I've come to call the righteous, 
No, he said he didn't come to call the righteous, did he? Mm -mm. He opposed the righteous. He came to call sinners to repentance. I want none to perish, but that all would come to repentance, as it's written. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. We hear, our Lord said, I say to you that likewise... There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. What? More joy in heaven over one sinner that repents? Why such joy in heaven over one sinner? One? Well, you've got to understand the context, okay? Because our Lord also said it will be, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them, the wicked, into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Do you think that the angels are going to get joy out of casting humans into hell? No. And every sinner that comes out of their sin, that turns from their sin, that adopts and, ad and adapts to the way of Christ. There's rejoicing in heaven. Woo! One less we got to throw in. Think about it, folks. They don't want to do that job any more than I want to do the one that I'm doing right now. There's great joy. And that's why Paul was so upset with this professing Christian who was betting his dad's wife. Because he knew this guy needed to repent. He didn't say anything about the dad's wife. She was probably an unbeliever. But the man who was professing to be a believer was being called out of that sin because Paul knew the reality. This was a man who had somehow came into the family of Christ. This was not some heathen or some pagan or some unbeliever. This was someone who came into the body, and Paul's telling him, you can't do this. And not only was he telling him, he's telling the whole body, you can't let this happen. As I wrap this up, I want you to remember that Christ is coming, folks. He's at the door. He wants a pure bride, not fornicators. He wants a pure bride, not idolaters. He wants a pure bride, not adulterers. He wants a pure bride, not homosexuals nor sodomites. He wants a pure bride, not thieves or covetous. He wants a pure bride, not drunkards or revilers. He wants a pure bride, not extortioners. He wants a pure bride that isn't filled with unrighteousness and sexual immorality. He wants a pure bride that is not filled with wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness. He wants a pure bride that is not full of envy and anger and murder and strife and deceit. He wants a pure bride that is not filled with evil-mindedness. He wants a pure bride that is not a gossip. He wants a pure bride that is not a backbiter or a hater of God. He wants a pure bride that's not violent or proud or a boaster, inventor of evil things. He wants a pure bride that is not disobedient to parents, undiscerning and untrustworthy. He wants a pure bride that is not unloving. 
He wants a pure bride that is not unforgiving or unmerciful. He wants a pure bride that is turning to Him. He wants a pure bride who is not doing those things that are deserving of death. We're not to do those things, folks. His Word makes it clear. And we may not approve of those who practice them. We can't just, oh, I don't see that. I don't see that, brother. You go on. That's okay. So often in the body of believers now, it's the person who kicks in the most in the plate that gets a blind eye. Or it's the person that does the most work in the body. Oh, we can't lose them. And that brother, he, look at all he's doing. I mean, he's helping us with this. He's helping us with that. And I'm not picking on any of you. Don't get me wrong. Speaking as the Spirit leads, it's not in the notes here. He's coming for a bride who is adorned in white, purified by the blood of Christ. Because God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And believing is living. It's not just speaking something. It's not just giving an assent with your mind. It's not just convincing others that you believe. Believing, as James put it, is faith in action. He said, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you mine by my works. In other words, by the way I live, you'll see my faith. And this is how God judges. God's going to look at all of us, and He's going to say, what would you do with the life I gave you? Were you an extortioner all your life? Were you a liar all your life? Were you covetous all your life? And I know believers that are highly covetous. Not in this building that I know of, but I know believers who are highly covetous. They think that it's okay. If they were in this building, I'd have to call them out on it. I don't want to do that. If you are in any sin at all that Almighty God has told us not to be in, please, I beg you, repent. Turn away from that sin. Allow God through Christ to clean you up to set you free, to cut the shackles to that sin that has you locked down. Because you can be free. You can be set free from whatever it is that is binding you right now. I think, folks, it's time. I think it really is. I, I'm not one... I don't like confrontation. As John mentioned earlier, God gives me grace to, to be very diplomatic in working through things. And I don't want to confront anybody. But there are some that I'm going to need to. And so, y'all have a heads up. God's calling you out of that sin. Just come up here and we'll pray. We will pray for God to take a hold of you and clean you of that sin. Because He says you're not getting in if you stay in that sin. That sin excludes you. That's what His Word says in the New Testament. Under Christ. Under grace. It says you can't live that way and expect that you're going to have something that He isn't giving. He's not offering you freedom to sin. He's offering you freedom from sin. And so all of us need to turn. 
I'm going to pray, and if there's anybody that wants prayer, I ask that you would come forward. Father, we are all sinners saved by your grace. We've all heard your word today, Lord. Help us to know your word, not just sound bites. Help us to judge ourselves, to call ourselves out of sin, Father. Help us to apply your word to bear upon others' lives. Lord, that we would not need to dismiss willfully sinning people from fellowship and turn them over to their sin. Lord, you know I'm not comfortable with this. I want to uplift. I want to encourage. But your word says before I can encourage and uplift, I have to reprove and rebuke. And so, Lord, I believe that I've delivered the message that you've given me to deliver today. Please, Father, pour out your grace upon this congregation. Let your spirit fall, Lord, that each one would feel your presence, that each one would be turned, Lord, away from sin, that each one, Father, each one of us, no matter what it is, we would hear from your Spirit, Lord, that still small voice within us, that you would show us our need for repentance, that we would know that Christ came preaching repentance, and he sent forth his disciples preaching repentance, and somehow, Father, over the many years since then, people have twisted the gospel, and they've made it into another gospel. The good news of Christ setting people free from sin has been changed into the good news of Christ leaving them in their sin. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for, forgive us for allowing this. We embrace your word, Father, for it is true. We embrace your grace, Father, because it sets us free. Lord, I, I lift up each one here and ask that you would pour your Spirit upon them. Where your Spirit is, Lord, no sin can abide. I pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen.